is that your prayer, God, I want your will to be done. I want your kingdom to come, Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, I want your will, Lord. I desire your will. I pray for your will, Lord, that it would be done in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Welcome to Wednesday night, Family Christian Training. Excited to get into the Word of the Lord tonight. I know many of us were here Sunday night at our annual Trunk and Treat. What a great time we had. Nearly 400 people here on the property between our church people and guests. Amen. Excited about what the Lord is doing. Amen. It's excited when we have these, it's exciting when we have these kind of community events, this one being one of our biggest, and that is that the community comes out and maybe they never would have set foot on our property, but because of this event, they do, and then they get the opportunity to fellowship with our people and, and get to know our church a little bit better and potentially even opening the door for somebody to come again. Amen. We've seen people in our church that are here today because of a trunken treat. Amen. And I'm thankful that we continue to do that each and every year. And the Lord was merciful with the weather because if it had happened tonight, I don't think we'd have very many people. Because, <laughs> man, it was, it's cold tonight, but, man, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. In fact, it was a little bit on the, on the warm side Sunday night, but it, it cooled down a little bit. But uh, a great time. What an incredible uh, amount of talent we have here in our church. I think we saw the Wizard of Oz there. Shrek and Fiona were there. I think Wally was there. Barbie was there. Let me see who else was there. I think the Pirates of the Caribbean were there as well. I think we had, yes, the, uh, the rubber ducky booth. I, I can't, uh, yes, there was a bunch of them. I can't remember them all, but. Um, I know mine wasn't that eventful, but uh, certainly many trunks were quite extensive and a great time uh, we had in fellowship with the saints of God and getting to meet some of our neighbors, amen, that came out for our trunk and treat. Tonight we are going to continue on our series, uh, The Parables of Jesus. This is the final lesson in that series on the parables of Jesus. The lesson tonight we're going to teach is that of the parable of the banquet, the parable of the banquet. Before we get into the word of the Lord, I'd like to just take a moment and pray, ask the Lord to have his hand on the word that we are uh, going to be teaching tonight and that we would learn from his word. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, once again, Lord, to learn more of you. God, as we delve into your word here tonight, I pray, God, that your words would become alive in our hearts and in our minds, Lord. May we grasp the concepts, God, of your parable, Lord, that you taught, God, in Matthew 22. And I pray, God, that we would learn of you and grow in our relationship with you, Lord. As we get through your word here tonight, Lord, I pray, have your perfect will in Jesus' name. Amen. Our, our scripture text comes from Matthew chapter 22, and I'm going to be reading the first 14 verses. And this is where Jesus 
tells the parable of the banquet. And Jesus answered, beginning at verse 1, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. And again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. Verse 5, But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready. But they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Finishing up in verse 14, For many are called, but few are chosen. Focus verse tonight is verse 8. Then saith he, his, he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. I want to be worthy. Amen. Amen. He has bidden us all to be there for the wedding feast. And I want to be there. I want to be worthy. Amen. Amen. This is quite a telling story. And we're going to delve into it a little bit more. We're going to expound on this story a little bit more as we get into our lesson tonight. The mother and son sat at a table in a restaurant. Will had been estranged from his family for five years. The reunion was due to the fact that his mother had been diagnosed with cancer, and she had reached out to him. Much to her dismay, Will had chosen a lifestyle that was directly contrary to God's Word. She couldn't understand how a child she had raised in the church 
with all the opportunities of truth, could be so deceived. Yet she loved him in spite of his lifestyle. He felt it and knew she loved him. He stayed away because of his own feeling of con condemnation. Today, however, was a triumph. He had agreed to meet his mom. That was the step in the right direction. As they talked, he made a statement that shocked her. He told her that when her friends, her church friends, would tell him that they were praying for him, it made him angry. In disbelief, she asked why. He said he felt like they were judging him and saying they wanted him to be more like them because they were perfect. Isn't it amazing the lies that the devil tells? She said, well, actually, she prayed silently for a moment, asking the Lord to give her the right words to minister to her son. And she responded in truth. She didn't know for sure how people had prayed for him, but she offered to let him know how she prayed. He was drawn in and interested. She said, I know you are tender before the Lord. I pray that you will always be tender to his touch and respond to his drawing. I know you love and believe his word to be true. I pray that you will always allow the word to speak into your life and strengthen you when you feel weak. She continued, no Christians would tell you to conform to their standards. That is what the world does to us. It puts pressure on us to conform to their approval. People who tell us to be like them to be saved puts them in the place of Jesus himself. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We would set up ourselves as idols if we commanded others to conform to us. Those who conform do it for the wrong reasons. God works from a heart of grace. He wants us to fall in love with Him. He wants us to grab onto His grace and hold on. He wants us to love Him enough to turn away from sin and run into His arms. God's way is to love us into transformation. Will wept. He took his mother's hand and he said he was so glad that she had told him that. He would never push away any prayer someone offered him again, especially her friends. As he waved goodbye, he didn't know if he would ever see her again, but he did have a new desire to fall into God's grace. What could it hurt? We read earlier the story of the banquet, the parable of the banquet, and we're going to expound on that story a little bit as we talk about in more detail kind of what this banquet may have looked like in this parable in more modern terms. It was customary for a king to prepare a great feast for his son's wedding. Many friends and family were on the guest list. Presuming everyone would be delighted to attend, the king began preparing a large feast 
to accommodate all that were invited. The king sent his servants out to the honored guests to let them know that the food was prepared and the festivities would begin soon. The servants reported back that all the guests had declined the invitation. The king tried again, and he sent his servants to plead with them to come. Seems like an odd situation. Why would everyone be so uh, adverse to going to such a feast? He told them to tell the guests he had cooked his best meat. The most beautiful table was set, and everything was perfect. Most of the invited guests ignored the servants and just walked away. But some seized the servants, beat them, and ultimately killed them. The king was devastated. How could they refuse the king's invitation? He was not only dishonored, but the refusal to come to the wedding feast, by the refusal to come to the wedding feast, but he was furious with those who had killed his servants. He sent out his army to kill the murderers who had tortured his servants and to set their property on fire. You see, we are blessed to be living under the umbrella of God's grace. You know, we've been invited, but we can decline. Thankfully, God's not sending his armies after us. Amen? We're living under God's grace, and we've all witnessed it. We've seen people that have declined God's invitation time and time again. We invite them to church like, nah, I'm good or I'm busy. I've got something else going on. And sometimes it can get to us to the point where we maybe don't want to invite them anymore because we feel like every time it's always a no. But the reality is we should never let that stop us. We should continue to bid them. As, as the king sent out his servants repeatedly, pleading with those to come, come to the feast, we should continue to invite people to come to church. And continue whenever we got, not just church itself in general, but when we have a community event like we did Sunday, we need to invite people to come. Hey, look, this is a great opportunity for you get, to get to meet some of our church people. And so we want to continue uh, to be inviting people. We know that someday there's going to be a judgment, and, and it's going to be judgment for those that rejected God's call. Like the, the, those that mistreated the king's servants, everyone will be held responsible for every rebellious act, for every slanderous word uttered against God. One day God will put, pull out the book of life, and the names of those who refuse to come to him will sadly be missing from that book. I don't know about you, but if I don't get anything else right, I want to make sure that my name's in that book. Amen? If I don't get anything else, if I mess up everything else in life, I don't get anywhere in life, Lord, let my name be in that book. Amen? When he opens that book, I want to hear my name read aloud. Amen? Amen. When we love someone, it seems we never have enough time with that person. You know, we've heard the saying, distance makes the heart grow fonder. 
you know, I travel a fair amount, and when I'm away from home, I'm always looking forward to being home with my wife and my boys, and uh, so I look forward to that. We think of a young couple maybe that is engaged. Maybe it could be a young couple in the back of the sanctuary over to my right um, who, is, who can't wait until they can be together without saying goodbye. Amen? Just like that, we feel the same way as a, as a parent of grown-up children. I love it when my kids, when my son and Tori want to come over. They're like, absolutely. Let's cancel plans. You guys come on over. We want you over here. Um, why? Because we love them. We want to be with them. We want to spend time with them. And God looks the same way to us. He wants to be with us. He's going to do whatever he can to spend that time with us. God loves us more than we can imagine. His spirit draws us to him because he loves us more than any creation that he's designed. To God's great disappointment, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it caused a division between God and man. The purpose of his life and death on earth was to bridge the gap between him and his beloved creation. He came to be the perfect lamb, to be slain for our sins. When we fall in love with God, we gladly accept his invitation when he extends it. Amen. The king looked around. His heart was broken because none of his friends would attend. Suddenly, he was renewed with a fantastic idea. He would still have a wedding feast. He was going to find someone who would love to come, someone who was hungry. God wants all who come in contact with him to commune with him. Unfortunately, some turn their backs on God and walk away from his invitation. It is up to each individual whether we accept God's generous offer. The king gathered his servants together and told them that since the guests he had originally invited were unwilling to come, the servants should go into the streets and find the hungriest, the poorest people, and offer them an invitation. Much to the king's pleasure, the servants were followed by a large, hungry group of guests who wanted to be there. This was ideal for the king. If we look in it in light of God himself, he invites us, he wants us to partake of what he's prepared. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. When I think of the marriage supper of the lamb, when I think of heaven and what God has prepared for us, I think kind of in earthly terms and the way I could think about it. I think of a feast. I mean, I like food. I'm, I'm a big foodie, so I like to go eat. But if somebody had prepared a feast and all my friends were going to be there and it was going to be amazing, I'd, I'd want that invitation. I'd say, sign me up. I'll be there. You just tell me when. I'll be there. When I think of the marriage supper of the Lamb, I think of food, right? Because I'm a foodie. And so when I think of that, I think of what kind of food will be there, right? I mean, 
if you could think for a moment what it, what what in your mind would come comes first you know to mind what would be there that you would want to be on the buffet well i don't know about you but i'm thinking texas brisket would be one of those for sure uh, there is a bunch of food that i would love to see there but i bet that whatever's on the banquet at that banquet will be far superior to anything that we've ever tried. Um, and, and I think of it along the lines of we're not in this mortal body anymore, so we don't have to worry about getting full and only being able to try some of the food at the feast. We could try it all. It kind of reminds me of the time my wife and I, a few years ago, had the privilege of going on a work trip, believe it or not, to the Bahamas. And we were there our company had given us an allotment for food while we were there. And on the resort we were on, we had so much money, and we'd kind of, you know, used our money sparingly until the last day. And then we saved up just enough so we could go get the best buffet they had there uh, at the resort. And it was amazing. And what I loved about it was that they had everything in smaller portions, so, like, you know, have you ever been to a buffet and you're like, man, I want to try that, I want to try that, I want to try that, and, but then you can only get so much on your plate, and then you're like, I'm not going to be able to try that or that or that, you know, so I'll just try these few items. But there, they had, like, small lamb chops, they had small cuts of steak, they had small lobster tails, they had all these different things that you could try, so you could fill your plate with a dozen different things instead of with three or four things. So um, it gave us opportunity to try way more things than we would normally in a buffet. And when I think of the marriage supper of the lamb, I think of being able to try everything, right? Because I can assure you there's not a single thing that would be any, would, you wouldn't like. And so that's my thinking on it. But when I think about that, if you had prepared this feast for somebody that you love, You'd, you'd want them to be there. You invited them, man. You, you went all out. You, you know, maybe, you, maybe you're one that smokes, you know, meat, and you have a smoker in your backyard, and you like to smoke meat, and you've been working on that for hours. Or maybe, you know, we're getting close to the time where families get together for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and, and many families go all out in cooking an incredible meal. And so you're excited when you make really good food for somebody to try it. You're like, try this. And how about this? And when you try it, you're excited too. And they get to experience that. When it comes to food, you, and, and you've went all out and really put forth the effort, you want them, your guests, to experience it. And so God is preparing a place for us, and he has gone all out. I mean, we think about it, what we see here on this earth is what he did in seven days. Well, he's been working on this for thousands of years. We can't even imagine what it's going to be like. But yet he's excited for us to experience it. He can't wait for us to experience it. That's why he's sending out the invitation. But yet it's so easy for us to look at this life and to be able to just go, well, maybe not because it's not you know, we're looking at this life and not being able to look at that which is to come and knowing that God is so excited for us to be there with him and experience what he has created for us. When I think of, 
I think of food. I also think of places that you go. Um, I recently went to the, the cherry capital of the world. I know you've probably never heard of Traverse City, Michigan, but they are the cherry capital of the world. They, that region of the country uh, produces 40% of the world's cherries in just this little area. And it was beautiful. I was there, and it was, it was the peak of fall. So the colors were just popping. I mean, it was just vibrant colors everywhere. And I was there on a work trip. And when you go on a work trip, it's just you, right? So, I mean, I had a coworker there, but it's not the same. You know, I, I'd, I'd like my loved ones to be there because I could be with my wife. I'd be like, wow, you got to see this. Well, thankfully, we have, you know, modern technology. I can take some pictures. So, so I took a, a bunch of pictures. I was able to send some to my wife, and I shared more with her and the family when I got home. Why? Because I was excited about what I had experienced. And in the same way, God is excited about what we can experience in him, not just in the world to come, but in this life. When we live for him, when we give our life to him, he knows what he has in store for us. We don't see it, and he's excited to say, look, if you live for me, if you just accept my grace, man, your life will be way better, way better than what you could get in this world. And so if you'll just surrender to my will, I assure you, I can do, you'll see great things. When it comes to the type of people that uh, we talked about that were invited to the king's feast, we didn't see, you know, I mean, the people that ultimately came were not millionaires. They weren't, you know, famous people. They weren't high society people. They were just your run-of-the-mill average person. And some of them poor and hungry, but they were invited. Just like our churches are today, we're not filled with millionaires and famous people and all of the people that are well-known in society. But we have one thing in common. Every single one of us were sinners. But we accepted his invitation. We accepted his invitation. And so now we are together in the church. Paul addressed the church of Corinth about the prejudice against a group of undesirable people. He set the spirit of condemnation straight by reminding them who they are. He said these words, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. We may not all fit into the closed club of high society, but we do fit into the kingdom of God. And that's one group that I'd rather fit in than any other. Amen? We know we were sinners who have been saved by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. We are thankful God is not a respecter of persons. Amen? He chose us even when we were unworthy. Amen. We're still unworthy today, but because of his grace, we are. Amen. The king entered the receiving hall where his guests were waiting. He offered them festive robes in exchange for their filthy rags. He exci they excitedly 
shed their dirty, smelly, worn clothes for beautiful, clean, colorful garments. Only the royal family and their esteemed guests were usually in the dining hall of the palace. This was a day of changes that had commoners sitting at the same table as the king and his family. You see, the Jewish audience Jesus was addressing may have wondered how these undeserving guests could have ever been part of the king's feast. However, Jesus was introducing his plan of salvation, that it wasn't just for them, but it was also for the Gentiles. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. Amen. That includes me. Amen. Although the Jews were God's chosen people, this message for the Jews to consider revealed how God would extend his grace and favor to another people. We are blessed to be counted amongst the royalty of heaven. The King of Kings invites us to be his friends. He not only wants to be a friend to us, but he wants to be family. Amen? And I want to be family with him. Amen? As he calls us unto himself, our only responsibility is to believe that he really wants us. If we believe, we will act upon that faith. We will repent of our sins. We will take on his name in baptism, and we will accept his gift of the Holy Ghost. It is as easy as the undeserving guest accepting the invitation of the king to come to the feast prepared for them. It's just a matter of accepting it. Yes, Lord, I hear the call. I hear your, your uh, invitation, and I will answer your invitation and come. The idea Jesus introduced to his Jewish audience must have been nothing less than astonishing. The notion that God would extend his mercy and grace to the undeserving may have been countercultural, to say the least. Jesus sat and ate with sinners. He touched the diseased. He held conversations with the outcast. He showed us how God's grace is designed for the undeserving. Amen. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? Amen. We have a video real quick we're going to show you. Hi, I'm Cullen Cressman, and my wife and I have uh, been married for almost eight years, and we had our first child this past year. I give you that as kind of like the final the, the celebration, but leading up to that, it was multiple years of wanting to have a child and being told by doctors and others that we were unable to. And probably the hardest part about that is that we were told we were unable to have a child, but nobody knew why. And that, uh, to be very candid, was difficult because that meant it was God. Put it bluntly. We wanted to have a child. Uh, we wanted to celebrate life. We wanted to be able to offer the Lord something, His image. We wanted to have something good. But whenever we found out we couldn't have a kid, uh, 
it it hurt. The difficulty we had was how to live through each month and how to hope again. We are embodied people. We live in a physical reality. So it's very hard to hope in something that you can't see. To trust, that's really the key to waiting, is to trust that there is something beyond what you can see. And there is something that's in charge of it all. I went through a very difficult period of time, a, uh, a depression where I, I would simultaneously hope in the Lord and be mad at Him. Each month I had to work up the faith, work up the courage to take another test and to believe in God again and to hope in Him again. And that's the key to waiting, is that I know that I have no ability to change my circumstance. I know that I couldn't change, I couldn't fix, I couldn't make it happen. I had to believe in something that was beyond me. I had to believe in something that was bigger than me. And so even though I was frustrated while waiting, I knew that I was limited. Waiting is only clear when I'm confronted with my limitations and I have to hope. Then all of a sudden I have clarity. I'm able to see what God wants to do. I'm able to have peace in my situation and I'm able to pray effectively and I'm able to trust in God's will because he's bigger, he's able. And as I said, I now have a beautiful baby girl and I couldn't have done it better. I couldn't have, I couldn't have made that. I could not have created that. It's the best thing that God could have ever done in my life, including the time that I spent waiting. I'm a better man for Eden. I'm a better father for her because of that time that I waited with the Lord. Praise God. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayer in the timeline that we ask him. Sometimes he doesn't even answer our prayer in the way that we think. God will always answer our prayer. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's not yet. But he does answer our prayers. And we just need to learn to trust him in the middle of that and know that he has our best interest at heart. Amen. He has great things planned for us, not just in this life, but in the life to come, and we need to trust him in that. In the realm of God's magnificent holiness, no one is truly worthy. We are all undeserving sinners who have been washed, saved, and sanctified by the redemption of his righteousness. We are made worthy by the blood that he shed. The receiving hall was filled with chatter, laughter, and merriment. The king scanned the crowd. Everything seemed to be in order. As he turned to order dinner to be served, he spotted a guest still in rags. Why was he inappropriately dressed? The king approached the guest who was still in rags. Surely he had not refused the beautiful, clean new garments designed for the wedding gifts 
guests at the door. The king asked why the man was not in proper wedding attire. The man just looked at him and had nothing to say. No word, no explanation. Nothing except for a challenging, rebellious stare into the eyes of the king. We all have probably encountered a person who rejects Jesus Christ, one who blames him for all the bad things that happen in the world, or who walks away with God without a word. We would be quick to judge this person, but God is gracious. He's slow to anger, and he's abounding in mercy. For those who are not interested in God in any way, it is better for us to leave them in the hands of a merciful God and keep loving and praying for them. The ungrateful guest had no regard for the time and effort that the king had put into making this amazing feast for his guests. We must remember what Jesus did for us. We experience salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection. Likewise, we die out to our sins through repentance. We are buried with him through baptism in his precious name. Then we have the promise of new life when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Ignoring these acts of love would be similar to what the ungrateful guest at the wedding did to the king. When the king discovered the man in, still in rags, at first he graciously called him friend. The king gave the man a chance to explain his situation. Once the king realized the guest had no intention of doing as the king wished, he passed judgment on the man and he was evicted. God goes to great lengths to reach out to every person. Amen. That includes everyone that's not here. Everyone that used to grace these seats that is not serving God anymore. He's still reaching. Even the most undeserving person finds grace at the table of Jesus. It is not God's will for anyone to die in sin. Let me repeat that. It's not God's will that anyone die in sin. God wants everyone to repent and follow him. And so the invitation. Aren't you glad that God never stops tugging on our heart, calling us, drawing us to him, especially those who are not serving him today? Amen. We pray for our loved ones, our friends, those who have decided not to live for God or have walked away. I'm glad that he hasn't given up on them because I know he never gave up on me. Amen. As the king closed his unworthy guests in beautiful robes upon their entrance into his palace, God closed, closed us in his righteousness so we can enter into his kingdom. Amen. Our own righteousness, the Bible calls filthy rags, right? But with his grace, we can be robed with his righteousness. Now we're worthy to be at the wedding. Amen? The, the man in rags was flaunting his calloused refusal of grace. He wanted the privilege of, privileges of the king without admitting he was poorly in need. 
God transforms us through his grace. When God makes us a new creature, we cannot live in our present state. The man who refused the beautiful clothes was like a person who refuses grace. Amen? God's grace is beautiful. It can transform a life. It can make us worthy. But yet many will reject those beautiful clothes, the, the righteous clothing of grace for the filthy rags of this world. Paul taught, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? When God transforms us, we are new creations. We who were dead are now alive. When Jesus was raised from the dead, there was no going back to the grave for him. Even so, we should move forward and walk in the new life that he has promised for us. The world pulls on us to conform to its agenda. In fact, we hear it in the media day in, day out. This is what you should be doing. This is righteousness. This is right, the right cause. This is the way you should act. We hear it all the time. We learn very fast that we can never measure up to the demands of this world. We'll always fall short. It's, you know, I mean, we, we hear things that, I mean, it's made up words and made up phrases and made up lines of thinking that if you don't fall in line, then you're not, you're not righteous in the world's uh, estimate. I, I read an article about our new speaker of the house and how because he said he believed in the Bible and that's how he formed his worldview, he was called a religious fundamentalist. It's like, what, because we believe in the Bible? Like, that's okay, well, then I'm a religious fundamentalist then, if that's the case. But the world's definition of righteousness continues to evolve because there is no, there is no real righteousness there at all. God offers us transformation through relationship. As we draw close to him, he begins to change the very network of every cell, atom, desire, and need into a yearning for him. As we are transformed, we decrease and he increases until finally one day there's, you no longer see us but you see the reflection of him. Amen? That's what I want to be. I don't want them to see Eric. I want them to see him. They see him reflecting in my life, in my words, in my actions. Amen? The Bible says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Accepting God's grace is a privilege. We are lost and hopeless without it. Without God's grace, we would still be wandering around, searching for meaning, living an empty life. Jesus said, no man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. God's grace reaches out to us no matter where we are and how far away we are from him. 
Grace has been commonly defined as unmerited favor. However, unmerited favor is only a small facet of God's grace. You see, His grace is far more than just unmerited favor. It would take an eternity to give all the details of what God's grace means. But we know it is God's gift to humanity. He is ever patient with us because of His grace. He draws us and loves us even when we are running from Him. That's God's grace. He is faithful even when we are not because His magnificent holiness will only perpetuate loving kindness to, the frail, to this frail humanity that He loves with all of His heart. That's God's grace. If we could understand the expanse of the holiness of God, perhaps we could understand all the facets of God's grace. We do know He loves us too much to leave us in our sin. I'm glad he died for me, amen? It is true God loves us no matter how sinful or how lost we are, amen? Nothing can separate us from his love, nothing, nothing, amen? Before we were born again, there was no real relationship with Jesus because we weren't alive yet. We were still dead in our sin. When we find Jesus, we enter into a world of true life. He draws us out of the darkness of sin into a bright place that is shining with His love and grace. Grace is not a license to sin. It is a lifeboat rescuing us from sin and death and bringing us unto life everlasting. Salvation is a transition from death to life. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ all had to be completed for our salvation to be complete. Jesus left none of these steps unfinished. He completed the mission he came to for earth. And because he didn't miss a step, we shouldn't miss a step either. Amen? We should identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. Because he was thorough and intentional to see it to the end, we are now able to live according to his experience without actually having to go through the horror of what he did. Paul wrote in his letter to the church at Corinth, reminding them that when they come to Christ, they leave all the old things they participated in behind and experience a new life. Grace enables us to live a new life. The word live is inherent to grace because it is ongoing. We can live above sin through his righteousness, not our own. We can resist temptation on a daily basis because of his grace. His grace says, go and sin no more. Just as he extended grace to the woman who was going to be stoned because of her brazen sin, God encompasses us with compassion, long-suffering, understanding, forgiveness, and a plethora of other wonderful attributes of God. He, is, he has ha always had them, 
And now he extends all of these to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Aren't you thankful that you accepted his invitation? Amen. I'm looking forward to that day. Then we all gather, amen, on the other side. Amen. At the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. We'll cast our crowns at his feet. I, I can't wait. Amen. The more and more I listen to the news, the more and more I look forward to the, the world to come. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Why don't we pray in dismissal? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word tonight. God, we thank you for the great invitation that you've given each of us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we've answered that invitation. We've accepted your invitation. God, and that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've prepared for us. And Lord, you're anxiously awaiting for us to be united in heaven together. We thank you, Lord, that that day will come soon. Lord, we thank you, God, and we ask you, Lord, that we would continue to, ca uh, to bring this invitation to others, Lord, that they might be drawn to you, Lord, that they might join us, Lord, in that heavenly host, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.